Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, everyone. It's Caroline from G-Thanks Just Bought It, reminding you that in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at G-Thanks Just Bought It Pod. You can find products that don't make it onto the episodes and recommendations from listeners like you. So before you start this episode, give it a follow and say hi in the comments. And for a full list of every product we featured on G-Thanks, visit gthanksjustboughtit.com slash episodes. See you there. Hey everyone, welcome to another week of G Thanks Just Bought It, the podcast where we talk about what we just bought and what you might need to buy next. I'm your host, Caroline Moss, and this week we are joined by Taffy broderick Ackner, the author of one of my favorite books of 2019, Fleischman is in Trouble. It is recently out in paperback. I read this book twice in a row. That's how good it is. <laughs> Here. Taffy, I'm so <laughs> pumped to have you here. Welcome. And Taffy, you're you're literally writing a show? Like you are writing Fleischman is in Trouble, the show. I am writing Fleischman is in Trouble, the television show. It is it is very it is a dream come true. That honestly. is so great. I'm so happy to have you here. Um that was Fleischman was one like maybe my favorite book. Uh that I read last summer. I I sat on the beach in Fire Island um, from like 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m. and in like one sitting just devoured it. it what? So good. That's amazing. Thank you. How do you read so fast? Um, I am obsessed with fast readers. I don't let anyone talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm like still moving my lips. Like there might be something wrong. The more I hear people read it back like I remember when it came out and I'd hear stories like this and I heard enough of them where I was like how is it possible that you could read a 374 page book even in 24 hours like I I don't think I physically could do it um which makes me like I started I I started trying to figure out how to relearn how to read since (laughs) I heard that story so many times that yeah, I'm, I'm really wrong upset with about it. <laughs> and also, once you write a book, people ask you to read their books, like not to right. like a book in galleys or a first version. And I'm very lucky in a way that I'm I'm not allowed to blurb because I'm a reporter for the New York Times, and the New York Times does not allow that uh-huh. um, unless you're a critic, and I'm not a critic. But I like sometimes like. I I wouldn't be able to because if I have to read three books for the story I'm writing, sometimes there's just no way to get in another book. And I, I I like know in my head a list of people who, and now you are one of them (laughs) who can like sit down and read a a not short book in a short period of time. And I'm extremely jealous. It is. um, It's a, it's a, so I wasn't really, I wasn't really allowed to watch TV as a kid. So this is like a long, 
a long practiced sort of talent because all I did as a kid was read. Um, so now all I do as an adult is watch TV. So, um, the, the, thing that I need to do when I read a book is like truly like depart from the world and and like I I don't I didn't I think the key is that I did not have my phone with me at all like when I would go to the beach I would leave my phone back in the in the house and and that changed like the way that I consumed books because I have no problem reading like 12 hours of tweets uh and I'm sure if you put all of the tweets that I read in a day into book form I would have read like the odyssey 20 times over in the last three months but like (laughs) I don't know I have to I have to literally like like separate myself I have to cut the umbilical cord between phone and and me. I handed in my second book last week, and I have about ten books. Thank you. So I, exciting! Ten, I have like ten books that I have to read yep. um, for various reasons, either because I'm interviewing the author or or a story or something. Yep. And this is like, I've, there's one magazine article I've been trying to get through for 24 hours yeah. but these things are at odds with trying to promote your paperback it's and so trying true. to raise your children Ugh, those pesky <laughs> children always needing to be raised what's up with that i know they're so needy and the minute they see me reading they're right. like then they need something. so offended right. yeah <laughs> Like, are you not paying attention to me? And then you like, it's literally like having a cat where you're like, okay, I'm paying attention to you now. And they're like, oh my God, get away from me. You psycho. It's exactly that. It is exactly <laughs> you're that. Obsessed but with I guess me. also like the work I do, especially since the pandemic, Yeah. like all I do is write and I'm doing it right in front of them. And I always am pushing them away. And I guess <laughs> if they see me, God forbid, with my feet up, right. they will like... <laughs> They're like, hey, that's not the deal. <laughs> yeah, you're the in deal the is prime that you martyr posi- yourself yeah, exactly. to us. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, yo, you're in the prime position to do something for me. Like, oh, oh, are you busy? No, okay, Sorry. great. So Fleischman is in paperback and is also in trouble. Um, what's it like having to like re-promote <laughs> the book you spent the majority of 2019 promoting? It's really weird. Like I, I feel that I never stopped promoting it. Mm-hmm. I think because, um, I think it it was. I, I don't know. I, I know that it was considered in before it was published, like a a very niche title uh-huh. that had a very like a very specific cover and had a very. Um, the uh, the euphemism was it, it seemed it, like it might be too New Yorky, oh, um, no. which I think means like Jewy, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think that they did not. I think they thought that it would be read by a few of my a few of my peers, and I think that um, it was it was a book that that starting at its pub date mm-hmm. built momentum to the point where. You know, it was kind of it was it was like the pandemic. It was just hitting the Midwest a few months ago, and interesting. And and it's interesting because it changes your life a lot. Like I, I thought it would be like having a, you know, like 
when you have a big story go out in the world yeah. and it's a few weeks, I didn't realize that this is like, this is your baby forever in a very different way. And then of course, um, the, the, the adaptation rights sold. And yeah. so I've been in this world for a really long time. Like I have not been able to move on the way you're, the way you're able to, the way it's important to move on when you have to write your next book, when you have to write your next story, like having people still talking about the last one, it's a great problem to have, but it really gets in your head a little bit. So I guess in some respect, I'm happy to be back talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, because I w- that's what I was doing anyway, and I'm glad to have a purpose to talk about it again. But I'm also a little bit, I'm not, it's not that I'm sick of it. It's that I don't, I don't know how to talk about it. Like, right. to talk about it is so much to talk about the ending. And it is so much to answer questions about um, you know, the boundary between me and the narrator. Sure. And I don't, I, I don't think I've quite learned how to talk about this things yet. The thing I think about most is how much it changed how I interview people. So the way I changed was that I no longer, I no longer felt like interviewing people the way I was interviewing people. And the way people interviewed me was a, was a great way to, um, to authentically get to know them. Um, and I'm still kind of searching for that. So I've become kind of consumed with that question of can you ever really get to know somebody through an interview? And are the results of interviews always the the best possible information? Mm. And it reminds me of my last GQ story, which was with Rob Pattinson. And he wouldn't answer any of my questions. And <laughs> I asked him why why he wouldn't answer them. And he said, because I'm going to answer them with something that I didn't really think about. And I'm just going to give you a, whatever I'm thinking right now. And then in three years, when I'm trying to promote something, someone, some other journalist is going to have read that, taken it as the truth. Mm. and make me answer for it, even if it's innocuous. And I thought that, you know, that seems fair. Yes, we do do that. Right. We read your other press, and then we go and we ask you questions. Right. And I have to say, he, like, like I kept thinking of that answer. Not that anybody, like, not that, not that I ever expect to be interviewed again, or not that I ever, not that I am Rob Pattinson, right? And not that my stakes are quite so high, mm-hmm. but the thing that was informative to me is that I would read some of the things that, that I, that I, that I had said. And I was like, that's a thing I said in that moment. Right. And I don't know if it's the, 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 the best answer to that question, which means that there's something false in interviewing, like to not give people to make it conversational and not give people a chance to think about their answers or to not understand why they're answering the way they're answering. Like those, that's really, 
like that's something I have to consider now, right? Because yeah. that's my job. That hyper awareness. Anyway, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's really it's true that the hyper awareness of of someone like a, a Robert Pattinson or a Tom Hanks, like you know, going on the record and understanding what that means and understanding that this will never be you know, sort of like a casual conversation between friends because they know it's going to be printed and they know it's going to reflect on them and their work. And like, that's really interesting because, you know, either you have people who aren't media trained and say whatever right. and and that all often yields the best stories because then you have like these insane interviews. But like there's only one time if they're smart, they only do it that one time and then they go, immediately go get get someone to reel them in they literally pay somebody to, to to like teach them how to do these interviews right. and so yeah it's always like okay yeah we're having this very candid conversation but like you and I both know this is going to be in the New York Times or it's going to be in GQ and everyone's going to read it and people are going to ask you questions about it so someone as seasoned as Tom, Tom Hanks is like okay well here's the answer well actually I don't know uh, Tom Hanks is a saint I don't even want to like I don't even want to but put he, his but name in my right. Like, here's this. the yeah. answer that I'm willing to give. Right. Here's what I'm going to say. He has say. a list of answers he's willing to give, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's very interesting to me. And that's, yeah. like, something I have to contend with. And I have to recognize that they have an awareness yep. that they don't ever move on from my story. Because my story is published in the New York Times or in some magazine that people can search on the Internet right. forever. And whereas I move on from the story and I hadn't thought of the Rob Pattinson story in years. Now, like now I understand what he was trying to tell me. It's really interesting. There is something about this idea of like, you know, I don't, I was in, I was, I wasn't, I was out of college when like smartphones came around. So there was not a lot of, there was a lot of stuff we did in college, I feel like, that we didn't understand could be, like, saved for posterity. Um, and mm-hmm. I and I feel like growing up as, like, a as like a young adult in a world that was, like, increasingly, like, always documented sort of made me ill-prepared for what you could do in, quote-unquote, private versus, like, what was public. Mm-hmm. And my sister, who's 10 years younger than me, has, like, a much better understanding of of like what of why you don't put like everything on the internet and I see that in like little and in not little kids but like younger the younger generation of like having the Instagram that is for public consumption versus the Finsta which is like just for their like 10 friends because that's where they can put all their like embarrassing shit and it's very interesting how they've learned to like okay well here's the thing that you know, here's the part I'm allowed. I'm I'm willing to let everybody see. Here's the part I'm not willing to let everyone see. Which is like not that was not my experience with like putting stuff on the internet. Um, and, right. They've all adapted to it now. Yes. And the result, but the results, like, and now we have things like Instagram stories that disappear. Right. But you you here's the problem. It's not about permanence. It's about am- it's about amplification. Mm. It's about the fact that you can say something, you could have a dumb opinion, which is what youth and much of middle age and all of (laughs) life is about. And the fact that you are not like, I'm thinking of Twitter because I'm, I don't love Instagram because I am not so visual. Like I like words better. And um, 
on, on Instagram, I just post pictures of my kids, so I keep it private. Yep. But uh, like, I think about Twitter and like, you're dumb. Like the amount of people you're saying your dumb thing to, and then all you are are an um, you're an amalgam of all the dumb things you've ever said. Yep. And the truth is, is that people are more than their bad opinion. That's true. Like, they're also their good deeds. They're also their friendship. Like there are people who are your friends who have bad opinions Mm -hmm. and that used to be tolerable and it actually used to make the world a little bit better. And now, especially now during the pandemic where it used to be that there was the internet and there was the real world. Now the internet is the only thing yep. which makes it the real world. Yep. And so everyone that you were like, oh, that guy is a little bit right-leaning, but he made me a lasagna when I was sick and he's <laughs> my friend, is now that guy is a terrible person. And who knows how you're supposed to evaluate a person? That's the question that I have all the time now is like, sure. am I supposed to think of this person as just, the her like a list of opinions that I don't agree with or am I supposed to remember the time you know that we hung out and agreed on something like or the fact that that like he also makes me laugh a lot and that has value and also that as a journalist I don't want to be somebody who is only surrounded by I'm with by people with the same opinion that I have like Those things, that's also dangerous. Um, And there's also something, and there's also something in like, you know, but also if this person is so great and has all these, but also has all these bad opinions, but like chooses to be bad opinions guy on the internet, that's also like a choice. Um, And and it makes me wonder. But it's a persona. Right. Right. I don't know. Like everyone I know is a little different than they are on the internet oh, absolutely. because you have to, because of, because of this knowledge that like they have to be cautious or their thing will last forever. Yeah. I mean, I mean the smartest people in the world are not on Twitter. Um, so I don't, fa- <laughs> I don't fall into that category. That's true. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's a real, there's a real, for me, a personal sort of tacit understanding of every time, you know, I spew a thought out into the ether, um, that like, it could be the last thought I have without, uh, sort of having to answer for it and it doesn't stop me and right. I and I do wonder why maybe that's something right. I should explore in therapy maybe it's like your last stand <laughs> yeah maybe it's your last stand right like screw it all yeah. I don't know I don't know it's, it's so hard my opinions are pretty like my my actual opinions on the world I think are pretty much in line with like the right side of history, but I do have some really bad like television opinions that, that I'm not willing yeah. that I'm willing not willing I to mean, share. I would just warn you that everyone, <laughs> everyone with a with a with a bad opinion also thinks they're on the right side of history. That's <laughs> like, true. Yeah, but like, but Tavi, it's I different for me because I'm that. actually right. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know that, but I'm. <laughs> I, I, I know that's everyone fair. else thinks that, but right, well. exactly. But I'm I'm actually correct, um, and so that's the difference. Uh, um, no, no, it's true. I mean, the thing is, I was always sort of like an internet kid, um, which makes my 
life and job and sort of internet persona sort of funny. So like my parents, do you, you know, when you're a senior in high school and your parents like buy a page at the back of the yearbook and like put baby pictures in it and they're like, we're so proud of you. Like live your dreams. I hope you dance kind of thing. I know. I know when they're supposed to and they forget to and you have to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I'm familiar. Well, you know what? Consider yourself lucky because my parents did a big surprise page um, with pictures that I did not uh, did not get to see beforehand. Um, and, and I did not give permission to use and on the, on my senior page, and I will take a picture of this cause my yearbook is in my house. Um, and I'll put it in the show notes, but there is a, a massive picture of me in a halter top and my like very extremely 1999 glasses and my Tiffany charm bracelet. <laughs> and I'm just signing online. Like you just see the AOL running man in the background. And I'm like giving the camera like a coy look. And I'm literally in my basement and I'm just signing online. And I was so embarrassed because I was like, you know, everyone else has like horseback riding and scuba diving and like, here's a soccer player. And it's like, oh, there's Caroline, like in the basement on the computer. But I will say my career, and my life has sort of turned into like that is a very it's it was it's a very good it was a very good precursor for what I ended up becoming um and my parents still make fun of me for it to this day but that could have not been like that was so devastating to me and I was like but mom everyone That's else is very like, funny it truly I horrifying feel... <laughs> truly horrifying I feel like it's fine you were ahead of the game right I I was like, my family was like, what are we going to do with you? All you do is watch TV. <laughs> and now at the age of 44, I'm like, guess it was okay. Yeah, guess right. It was okay to watch TV. Worked out for me. I mean, yeah, I mean, now we can look back. At the time, it was like, I was like, mom, you know, I really would love a picture of me, you know, doing something. And they were like, well, we would have to have pictures of you doing things. You would have had to do the thing. Like, you didn't do, I, you know, I was like a theater kid who also loved to go online and so there were no pictures of me scuba diving so my parents couldn't just like you know make one up and I was like you know photoshop exists um it was it was a horrifying moment but yeah like maybe we we are we have always been the people that we were (laughs) we were meant to become right right here we are here we are here we are what was your before we take a break I need to know what was your tv show like du jour when you were like a teen when I was a teen, I was a big 90210 person. Oh, yeah. And right as I was becoming a teenager, there was a one-season show called Tribes oh. that, like, that, that was, like, my life. <laughs> and also, and I've, I've written about this, that, like, I, that I watched, I, w- I was raised in a very orthodox Jewish household. Uh-huh. And I was, like, counting the days till I could get out and be like a real American. And what I would do is I would watch 30 something and a different world so that I would know how to behave <laughs> when I left my house. Oh my because gosh. obviously it was not right. Reg- it was, I would not be like interacting in Yiddish or right. like half the things that we would do, which also were false. Like it, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> that is so funny. I love the idea of like a very orthodox you like tuning into 
a different world and being and like taking notes <laughs> and being like, okay. I was like, what am I going to be? Am I going to be a Denise? <laughs> am I going to be a Dwayne Wayne? Am I going to be uh, uh, like a whatever Marissa Tomei was? Like, like a, like, I don't know. I just felt like <laughs> limitless I just felt like those people like yeah like <laughs> I could finally forge my identity I could have flip up glasses I could do whatever I, I could be artsy whatever that meant <laughs> oh my gosh I love that wait I want to say one more show yeah tell me was party of five was like <sighs> party of five was it for me the it was best. like the future for me yeah yeah and what's funny is that all these years later the people who are producing my TV show uh-huh. um, like were, were young people getting their start on Party of Five. Wow. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah, See, I didn't even realize that. Watching TV was your destiny. Like Watching TV, it continues to be my destiny. <laughs> it's like it's all I want. For all the bad things about the pandemic, the amount of television that I've been able to consume in the last four months has been sort of record breaking. Um, that is so cool. That is so cool. It must be so weird. Like I understand that I'm getting older every day, but I hate when other people are getting older every day. So like being forced to reckon with the fact that like, sometimes I'll watch like a dumb lifetime movie and I realize like the mom is like the, they must be dead. (laughs) Well, I'm like, wait a minute. You're, aren't you still 14? Like, like, but then I look I'm like well I'm also aging you know time time is such a farce um we will we'll go return I've been waiting to find out what you're bringing to the show uh we're gonna take a quick break oh I can't wait to tell you (laughs) and we'll be right back (laughs) you and I talked on maybe the last day that I remember living in normalcy which I think now I'll remember for the rest of my life I was driving it was March like 7th um, we were DMing mm-hmm. on Twitter. We were driving. Dan and I were driving from um, Palm Spring. No, the Yucca Valley, similar wherever Palm Springs is. Back to L.A. We had just seen our friends, one of whom is a doctor. <laughs> and she said to us, this is going to get really bad. So whatever you're trying to do, get it done now. And we were like, what? <laughs> and we were like, bad for what? Like two weeks? Like we wouldn't know. Understand. We right. drove past a casino and I begged Dan to stop because I love the slots. <laughs> and we didn't stop um, because I I'm a nice wife. Um, but real no no understanding of what was happening. And I remember that Dan was driving and I was DMing you because you had just tweeted, I know exactly what I would bring on the show. And I was like, you got to come on. And you were like, I'm going to be in L.A. in April. And just like how young and dumb we were back then. I really thought the pandemic would... We were would- adorable. So cute. So cute. I really thought, you know... I think we were even like, I can't wait to meet you, yeah. even though meeting people is over now. We're done. We will never meet. We will never meet. I'm, I will never have another, the, you know, I will never meet anyone ever again. Um, yeah, we, I was really right like... Right now, to me, in my head, you are your, your talking um, avatar. This is it. <laughs> your Twitter avatar. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's all it is. It's just, a, it's my picture with my mouth moving like the up and down up and down down. um yes I I really thought you know how long could a pandemic well we didn't know it was a pandemic yet but I was like how long could this last three weeks that's truly on March 7th where my head was I was like April maybe um and you were like yeah I mean I don't want to be this person but (laughs) on March 7th I was calling it the pandemic because I'm very hyperbolic good for you 
You were thank you. You were thank four you. days ahead of the World Health Organization, and I that you should put that in your bio. That should be like part of your that's bragging rights. I was calling this a pandemic yeah. in March. <laughs> well, I by that was a Sunday. By Tuesday, I was screaming at my parents. So I was right behind you. Um, my mom was like, okay. I, don't, I haven't gone to the grocery store. I'm like, Mom, like so they live and my parents live uh, very close to. They're they're about an hour north of New York City, and so New Rochelle, where the National Guard was deployed to, it was kind of like the epicenter um, on the East Coast, and so the oh, National Guard yeah. was deployed. My mom was like, that's like 20 minutes away. I'm like, Mom, when you zoom out on the Earth, it's very close. Like you are very close <laughs> to like where this is all happening. I'm gonna need you to go pick up some frozen pizzas at the grocery store. And then like four days later, they're like, you were right. And I was like, I know, I'm always right. When will anyone ever learn? Um, so yeah, we had all of these dreams. We were gonna LOL record in person. Um, none, of, none, of, none of that ever came. Now it's July. Uh, none, none of that ever came to be. But I have been so excited about this because you were very strong. I didn't tell you what it was. You never told me what it was. And most people tell me beforehand because yeah. they want to know. They want to know if I think it's a good pick or they want me to. But I have zero idea about what you're bringing. I also want to point out that people asked, like, replied to your tweet and were like, "Oh, what is it?" And you were like, "I'm not telling." So like, this is the big. I was like, now reveal. I'm now I'm podcast exclusive. Yeah, now right. This is breaking news exclusive. Listen, content. I interview celebrities. I know about exclusive. <laughs> I'm and I was like, sorry, so just signed on to do that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, like, you know, you and Tom Hanks are best friends. And now I'm only one degree separated. Or is it two degrees? If someone's in the middle of you and Tom Hanks, is it two degrees? Or am I no one, one is in the middle of me and Tom no, Hanks? No, in the middle of me. And, you're in the middle of me. I just want to make it clear. <laughs> no one's in the middle of you and Tom Hanks. You're in the middle of me and Tom Hanks. So am I one degree separated oh, or am mm. I two degrees? You are two degrees. I, I believe love... by Kevin Bacon rules, you okay. are two degrees. Totally fine, Tom. If you're out there listening, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you tune into all of Taffy's uh, interviews. One day you and I will be one degree. I mean, he's here right now. <laughs> You've <laughs> you traded. Know, he has antibodies. You've tra- That's right. Right. If immunity exists, Tom Hanks actually is immune. Um, that w- He is the immunity. Before yeah. we get into your product, when they said on March 11th that Tom Hanks had coronavirus, did you did a piece of you die inside? I was very upset and concerned. Remember that like we didn't know like anything. We knew it was bad and yeah. we knew people were dying and we knew that the population of Rome and of Wuhan were were like decimated and we were just hearing these terrible stories and I I was very worried and I did reach out. <laughs> I love that. You're like, I'll come. I'll bring you soup. I'm here to <laughs> It's like, where are you? How well, can I get there? That was crazy. Like, that was definitely one of those things where, you know, only in, like, of all the, of all the different directions this could have taken, I wasn't prepared for the first big celebrity case of coronavirus to be Tom, to be Tom Hanks. Hanks. I was like, right. I don't think I can way, handle what's coming. out. The reason I reached out was because because my editor at the time asked me to Aww. to see if he wanted to talk about it because I w- I did not believe that he needed me <laughs> to talk to like do you need support no Tom? but I mean it's, um, I love that though yeah but I had a, you know like we were in touch and uh, anyway 
um, yeah, it, that's when it started feeling like the leftovers, yeah. the way you would like, yes, the way you were like, oh, wait, the celebrity, like, it's going to be random celebrities, people's parents, like, yeah, it was, pre- it was pretty, it was pretty scary when that happened. And yeah. it was him and Rita. And also like the, the comparison of like the message they sent versus the messages we were getting from the government. Oh yeah. And their message was so, it's like anyone who felt like, like acknowledging the virus at that point made them weak. Yeah. Like it was such a strong statement to say like, like this is like we're both having these symptoms we got tested it was easy to get tested we've we've been isolating and people are taking really good care of us like that would have been a great message like for tom hanks playing the president to lead us through this and we would have like we i think we would we could have been fine like that's how bad it was that literal tom hanks yeah and his message of of sanity yep. couldn't even get us through this. Yeah, for sure. We were woefully naive. Taffy, what did you what did you bring? Okay, thank you for asking. I can't wait. Um it's it's a little bit of a story. Okay. And it's a simple thing, but it's a little bit of a story. Okay. okay. So I have very few vices. Okay. I have never been a big drinker. I don't really know how to drink. I don't know like how much you're supposed like I wasn't raised with among drinkers, mm-hmm. I do not, I, I am not a dabbler in drugs. Um, and when I was, it was like, like a teaspoon of marijuana right. on occasion, right? Like, <laughs> um, or half of a recreational diet pill. Like I've never been a user. However, I ha- I did love to smoke cigarettes Wow. and I do love coffee. So I have a tortured relationship with coffee because whereas it is exhilarating at first, it also makes me very tired. Like when I come down from it, like three hours after I have it, it is, it makes me like foggy and tired. And when I have to do something like write a book, write an episode, write an article, I try to go off of coffee because coffee has some kind of adverse effect on me, but I am addicted to the exhilaration of it. And so the thing that bothers me the most is inconsistency in coffee. Like Mm. I don't like the fancy coffees. I don't like, I go to a place and I don't like, I don't always like, the thing that everyone says is great. I like a very simple, very pure cup of coffee. Now, I tried to give up coffee for good, but when I was doing my Gwyneth Paltrow story, there, you know, there's a part in there where I start smoking again. I really did start smoking again. <laughs> and it was a very stressful time. Like in, we were moving, it, like it was just the culmination of a lot. And for a year, I was smoking pretty regularly, which I cannot underline to you as like, as a, like a suburban mom, like how subversive that is Yeah, to be like sneaking cigarettes in the corner. (laughs) Like it's not, it is, it is basically weeds, right? Like it is, 
it is it is pretty wild to be doing that. Totally. Um, I, 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 of course, knew I had to stop because a million reasons. And so I started this disgusting habit where I was chewing on floss pick. Wow. Um, you know, those like little floss things. I do. Um, like, which are terrible for the environment, but listen, I, it was like a transition thing, but it would like fill my mouth with a mint and I would just chew on them. I wouldn't floss with them. Okay. I would chew on them. And as an asterisk to this, I have this, I would sometimes like, like chew it and then leave it on my notebook. And I have this fear <laughs> that at work people thought I was flossing at my desk, but this is what I was, I was trying. I didn't want to do a nicotine patch. I didn't want to do anything like that. Sure. Cause I felt like I know a lot of people on um, like the gum or the patch were just so on it years later. And I didn't want that either. Like, I don't want to be addicted to anything. And then I realized, wait, I think the problem is I need to be addicted to something. So I decided to just go back to coffee and to let that be my tortured addiction that I have this like, like a terrible relationship with. (laughs) And at that moment, I found the thing I bring to you today, which is the most simple device. I have ever seen to make a freshly brewed cup of coffee that I can take with me, that I can take like to work so that there is no variation in my coffee experience. Uh huh. And it is delicious every time. And it is called the AeroPress Go. Aero and it is a travel Go. system. A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S. Go. I'm googling it right now. And it now. is a cup, a filter, and a plunger. Oh. And that's all it is. And I can't figure out. We had an espresso, but we felt bad about it. Yeah. Someone gave us a Keurig. We felt bad about it. Also does not and make a also, big it does not make a strong cup of coffee. Um, no, no, neither of those things do. Um, and they are cumbersome and they're terrible for the environment and they take up space. And they're expensive. And this is a $25 device whose only waste is a a small circle of a filter, of a paper filter. And it works. And it is perfect. And you could put your coffee grounds in it and wait till you're like around some boiling water. And then someone gives you like... And then oh. and then use it then, and it seals itself so you could drink it on the train if we were to go on train. Right. And I just, like, I can't believe how much my life changed over <laughs> it. It is one of the things that, like, like, like de- first deciding that it is okay to be addicted. Yep. To, but, like, I need an addiction in my life, I think, and that this is the one... The one that makes me somewhat foggy sometimes is better than the one that gives me lung cancer. Sure. Probably, definitely. That's what I always say. Um, yeah. And I, also, I don't know if you ever smoked cigarettes. I didn't. But smoking cigarettes is only enjoyable to people who smoke cigarettes. Meaning, like Gwyneth's theory that you can have one a week, like, like, smoking needs to be something that you 
return to to feed the addiction. Right. It is not pleasurable on its own. It just gives you a head rush. Right. That's my experience of it. So I can't be someone who who has like a Gwyneth cigarette once a week. And obviously it didn't work out for me when I tried. Um, <laughs> and this coffee maker is like this humble little perfect thing that I cannot believe exists. That is, I'm looking at it Are you right disappointed? Now. Because no. I was like, there's a lot of buildup no, to this. No, I'm not I feel disappointed. like, oh, coffee maker. No, I'm not disappointed. But I'm a very, like, I'm a person with very few, like, like luxuries and, no, like, personal great. luxuries. Yeah. Um, and this is, like, 25, I think it's $25. Yeah. And it is, it is, like... I can't believe how good it is and how <laughs> consistently good it is. And it's shocking to me. And it's shocking to me more people don't know about it. And it's shocking to me that people are still taking up counter space with a thing that plugs in. True. Well, I mean, we have so. And also, this is easier to clean. This the, you just throw out the ground. Yeah, this looks like a very. So it's it's I'm looking at it right now. And it's like um, it's advertised on like a lot of like these kind of outdoorsy like REI has it. And like, I'm sure you can get it on like an LLB type place. So it's it has this very yeah. kind of endurance coffee vibe to it where it's like you're on the go and like here's how you can get a good cup of coffee because you're not bringing your your Keurig with you into the woods um I'm mostly just (laughs) impressed that like if this is the answer to like a good cup of coffee especially for people who yeah like who live in small spaces like how do more people not know about this Right. And what has big coffee done? Right. And what has the, <laughs> the Nespresso lobby done to make sure, like, I, I am shocked, shocked that people don't know about this and that people are still, I watch like a barista make a cup of coffee. Yeah. And I think like you poor lovable guy you don't even know how easy it could have been (laughs) for you and I'll also say that the way I found it was because when I decided that I had to be less tortured Mm -hmm. or like more tortured however you choose to look (laughs) at it and just have a coffee addiction and I I started buying a cup of coffee every morning from the Able Baker which is my which is my local bakery that lets me sit there and write when my kids are home or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I said to the guy who owns it one day, I said, why is your coffee so much better than the coffee I make? And he said, because it's a $3,000 machine. And I said, then, so what's like, what, what, what's my hope? And he said, cause they, they're not making espresso. They're making, I mean, they do make espresso with another machine, but they have a $3,000 <laughs> filter coffee machine. Right. He said, try this. They sell it in the store and he handed it to me and I bought it. And like weeks later, I came to him and I said, you don't know how you've changed my life. It I was, it was really profound. And then can I just say one, I complain a lot about living in a suburb and in a small <laughs> town, but I would like to say that I misplaced one of the components. I don't know how during at the height of the pandemic when everything was closed yep and I got in touch with them and they opened up the store 
and they del- they did a no contact delivery wow. of one and they left it at my door and I was like he, my husband was like, wow, it really is like drugs with you. Like we have a dealer and everything. <laughs> and, I, and I just couldn't believe how nice that was. But what was funny is that when I told them, when I communicated to them what my problem was, they were like, oh, yeah, you can't like we, we understand that you are an addict for this thing. And they brought <laughs> it to me because they understood that you need it. That it would so, be dangerous if you went without it. It would be absolutely <laughs> dangerous. That is a, that's so amazing that like I always love I kind of love the idea of the of the place that's selling you the coffee out of the three thousand dollar coffee machine is also like you don't have to come back here ever again if you buy this twenty five dollar right. twenty five dollar Aeropress. Funny that they did that. Yeah, it's so crazy. It probably like, makes you want to go there every more. morning, but it makes you want to go there more. I assume just because they like it introduce- does. Yeah, and it makes me talk about them, and it makes me like. <laughs> love them and it makes me stop looking at Manhattan real estate for <laughs> or Brooklyn real estate for a few minutes. We're going to take another quick break and then we will be right back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, we're back. So how does it how does it work? Like I'm looking at it right now and it literally looks like um okay. like something you would find in a doctor's office. So I need like a I need like a I, I, yeah, I need you to walk me through it. Okay. So there is a cup component. Okay. And there is a tube that fits over the cup. So you're going to brew it directly into a travel cup. Now I am going to transfer it into a mug because um, as my husband says, I'm a prima donna. Um, but if I needed to travel, I could just use this and and take it with me. So I am going to take the tube. I'm going to attach the the filter um, module mm-hmm. to it by like it's like a turn of a screw. Okay. And and the reason it comes apart is so I could put in one of the tiny um, filters, which is just a flat piece of paper. They come through, they're like $3.99. They come 300 per. You don't even have to think of it except like once a year. Like it's also profound to me that unlike Nespresso and unlike a lot of other, this isn't, this isn't like a a scheme to make more money. Right. You know what I mean? Like I feel like, you spend five hundred dollars on an espresso machine, and then you're paying. You're still paying like a dollar ten right. a cup of coffee. Right. Like right. that's crazy. That's like, what are you like? You opened a coffee shop in your house, and you're not even the recipient of the profit. <laughs> that's crazy to me. So such a good point. It's such a good point. Thing, you attach this thing, uh-huh. and you put. 
you put a scoop and it comes with a scoop so you don't have to worry about measuring yourself. You put a scoop of your favorite ground coffee in there. You boil water. You pour the water up to the top of the tube and then you take the plunger and you, and this is, this kind of makes you feel really um, like homesteady and artisanal. Sure. You just put the plunger in and instead of, you don't do it fast, you do it slowly and it's ready immediately. You don't have to wait for anything, but you push it down slowly until you hear, and this is why it's called the AeroPress, <laughs> until you hear like a hiss of air, which means all the air has gone out, which means that all of the coffee has been compressed and all the water is now in the cup and you're done. Wow. Can you believe that? No. You're, you're done. It is like, and I have some kind of undiagnosed learning disability where when I am taught things, I can, I need to be taught them like five or six times. Mm-hmm. Like I need to do things over and over, like in order to really remember how to do them. Like I can't yep. ever repeat a recipe. I can't ever like, like there's something that went wrong with my <laughs> cognition where I like don't always remember. I'm trying to think of a good example. Like I don't know. Okay. I can't remember how to use a barbecue sure. from time to time. Sure. Like, like, yeah, I can't remember. Um, I hear you. Too many components and too like explosive. I'm bad at card um, games for the same reason. Like in, unless I'm doing something every single day, I will never pick up on it. So like I could be playing a card game like once every couple of weeks for like two years and I'll never remember the rules. Like I'll never so ever I used remember. To play Risk. Uh-huh. I used to play Risk with my friend Jessica, my best friend Jessica. I used to play Risk with her every week. And I'm not talking about like elementary school. We were in college by this point <laughs> and we would play Risk all the time. And I recently tried to teach my children how to play Risk and I couldn't remember Impossible. how. My my husband has tried to teach me how to play chess 30 times. Yep. I can't learn how to play poker. I'm with you. I like also all of that. I could do this immediately. Wow. This was like something I understood immediately. And that is like worth the price. <laughs> if you were to ask me, like yeah. that, oh, that is like, oh, I just dropped a <laughs> mug. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. So, is, it, is it okay? I'm very, I'm bad at, uh, yeah, no, it's broken. And I'm, <laughs> no. I'm pretty bad at things. So I, I, I hope that highlighted to you. No, it did. I, I, I don't really have skills. I relate. No, I'm, I'm very, I'm not, I was, I'm just thinking to like, yeah, I'm similar in that I actually do have a diagnosed like ADD and 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 don't drink a lot of coffee because is it ADD that I have? Well, I, I don't you know, but ADD? I have it, and I, I I'm relating to what you're saying. So you might have adult ADD. Got it. I <laughs> all signs. I mean, my parents <laughs> like. I feel like I was the last generation of people for which there was no early intervention That's right. for. That's but right. also, like I, my parents were getting a divorce. So like me and my sisters, like we all have scoliosis and nobody diagnosed it enough. Oh no. So we were like, so we were like in our twenties Jeez. and we, we started to like, we were just, a, we were lightly neglected right. um, <laughs> by real, by a real, by a very loving seventies mother. <laughs> Gen um, X, right? Yeah. We're, yeah. There and you she go. was like, we don't need 
like we don't need these therapies what are we what like like i'm not i'm not raising like whatever the equivalent of like snowflakes was yes, like exactly. we don't need these things exactly like they'll it'll toughen them up like everything was there to toughen us up mm. um so i all signs point you know it's funny i gave an interview it wasn't really an interview it was um i was on a podcast where um the it was a woman my age who wanted to write a not a her first novel, but couldn't justify the time. Mm. And I was talking about writer's block. And I said that I didn't believe in writer's block. Mm. Just, you know, like it was one of my saying that is one of my many mental games that I play with myself in which I make it so that I don't have (laughs) writer's block. Yeah, of course. And um, someone on like someone I respect on Twitter was telling me, that he, he was like, he was like, no, I have ADHD and, and I do experience this. Mm. And I was like, and he was telling me about all the ways he experienced it. And it, it occurred to me that I experienced that in so many other aspects, not being able to concentrate on the rules for a game, for example, or again, like back to the beginning of our conversation, reading yeah. is sometimes really hard for me to concentrate on. And I realized, like, oh, my God, I might, like, I'm getting very close to an inferred diagnosis of ADHD. And I wonder how that will, if I'll, like, codify that at all when things go back to normal, if they ever do, and what I'll do. And if maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll become, like, like, maybe I'll go on a medicate. Like, I I wonder what it would be. Highly wrecked. To be. Do you do you take something? Oh yeah, I've been on I've been on some form of Ritalin for like well I'm I'm almost thirty three so that would mean like over twenty years like maybe almost twenty five years because I'm in the generation of early intervention because I'm I'm like ten years younger than you so I was in the generation of like by the time you're seven if you get like one you know bad math test back your parents are like at the doctor's (laughs) office being like something's wrong Um, and I actually think I actually think I do. I do. I've actually talked about this before, and it's a story that I've pitched, but I've never really been able to get the information that I need. But I really, truly believe that, like, because, you know, it was the ni- it was the mid 90s when all of these medications started hitting the market and doctors were really into saying, like, oh, do you have a child who, like, acts like a child? Like, perhaps there's something wrong with them. Um no one really ever thought right. no one ever really thought you know well what happens when these kids are adults like you you know you're you're essentially i was essentially prescribed a form of like speed you know as a as a kid and no it's one not a form of speed it's speed it's speed right exactly it's speed yeah i was prescribed cocaine um as a child and no <laughs> one ever said like hey like we should circle back on this you know when she's 20 right. 22 see what happens like i'm fully adi- my mom's like Do you there think- was no plan for it oh absolutely right. not and my mom will often say in the last like five or six years she'll often say like do you think you're addicted and i'm like yes <laughs> like a, th- a thousand percent yeah um uh, a thousand percent yeah. addicted. i've been taking speed for 25 years i'm definitely addicted um i don't and i and there were to- there are times when you know you really i don't really know how to function without it like i don't really know how to function as 
an adult um, without this medication. So if there was ever a day where like I would go to the office and for some reason forget the meds at home, which rarely happened, but there was one or two times that it did. I would literally have to say to my boss, like, I have, I, I, I can't work. Like, I like my brain wow. has never learned how to operate um, without this. And I know that it sounds and crazy. What did it feel like to you? Feel, Are you fuzzy? Oh, Are you no, disorganized? I'm, I'm very, fo- well, without it. Yeah. Oh, lethargic and insane. Um, My best friend um, from college, Rachel, who listens to this podcast is probably laughing because she knows exactly what I'm about to say, which is that one day in college, I forgot to take it. And we went to the mall and she had to get something. And she she could spot when she came out of the store, she could spot me like 200 yards away, slumped over in the food court. (laughs) Like unable to like, right? <laughs> unable to function. Oh my God. Yeah, staring course. into space. It's but that's v- not even. Yeah, that's not even the ADHD. That is you. That's withdrawal. In withdrawal, <laughs> yep. right? Uh huh. Yeah. So it's really, it's-, it's very strange, and and I think that like you know, it would be a different experience for you if you went into the doctor now and you were like, I'm having you know a hard time functioning. Like for me, yeah, I, I'm not. I don't like. No one's ever said you need. Like no one's ever really encouraged me to like get off of it and I don't really want to at this point because it's been so long but it has been super interesting to see like I can't even drive without it because I'll just like space out (laughs) like I'm so dependent but it helps um in that you know I really did have a hard time concentrating as a kid and I could I could listen to somebody talk and hear nothing um I you know I couldn't concentrate on school and I think that it was that it would you know the mid 90s were a time when all of the boomer parents who who grew up in houses you know i mean i get this story directly from my mom but where their parents would literally just like push them outside at 8 a.m and be like come back at dinner like see you later um right. you know right. it, my mom you have a whole generation of parents who are like really really over involved um and and instead of sort of coming up with like non-medicated uh ways solutions. And, yeah, pro- solutions can I just say what I think the problem is like, yeah the problem isn't I feel like everybody on some level has something like this yep and the the real problem with it is that as school became more like standardized and demanding mm-hmm. the ki- they needed an explanation for the kids who couldn't do well. I, yep. I, it, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying it, it absolutely exists. Overdiagnosed. And the problem, sure. it, I, or, or, I don't know if it's overdiagnosed. Mm. I think that the, my kids' school, I have a sister who is, is clo- very close to your age. She's 29. Mm-hmm. And I know what school was like for her. I was 15 when she was born. Yeah. Um, and I know what school is like for my children. Yeah. And my children, what my children know by third grade, I didn't even know till I was in seventh grade. Wow. Like the books that they're reading and the, the math that they're expected to know. <laughs> and if one of them doesn't understand, if my fourth grader does not understand how to reduce fractions, yeah. they ask, they ask for them to get cognitive testing and that like it's it's insane only because it denies that people mature differently and it and it and it makes you kind of forget what school was for in the first place school 
was there after the Industrial Revolution to make sure that by the time kids left school at 14, they knew how to sit for eight hours so that they could work in factories. <laughs> yeah. Like that's where we got school from. Yes. It's not really about learning. And now it's, and it's, now it's also largely about childcare, right? Like look at the conversation right. right now about opening up. And the question is about working parents and how are they going to function as we open up and have no schools. And I wonder what it would have done to what it, what it would have done to be to be told that there is something divergent about me as a result of it, yes. right? Like we had different words then. It was like, oh, she's not living up to her potential. And by the way, I got that. I was kicked oh. out of more schools than you can imagine. I was a <laughs> terrible student. Me too. I, like, me too. I was. I was like. I was like. Even in like English, I was a C student, mm-hmm. and it was very baffling to me. And my mother always says like. Well, now we would have had all of the, like, they would have had early intervention for you and we would have figured out what it was. And I, like, I don't know. I wish there was, I desperately wish there was some alternative to the way school works right now. Absolutely. Um, Because as many times as a parent, you go to all of these schools and you interview these schools Mm -hmm. about, like, oh, what is your... They're like, oh, we are Montessori. We are Reggio. We are like, <laughs> we are development based. And can I tell you, I sit here as a journalist to tell you they are all exactly <laughs> the same. There is like, there because there's no solution to it. That's How do right. you take a group of kids with one teacher or two teachers to 20 to 30 people and say, give them their own unique experience? Exactly. Like, I don't know. No, anyway, no. are we outside the purview of your podcast? <laughs> we are, but I this love it. not about But you know what? I kind of love the idea because this, I relate so much to this. Taffy Brodesser Ackner, thank you so much for coming on G Thanks Just Bought It. Um, you can buy Fleischman is in Trouble in paperback now wherever you buy books. We recommend going to a local indie. Taffy, do you have a, a local independent bookstore you want to shout out? Um, I would like to shout out Lit Bookstore in the Bronx, which Lit. you can access through bookshop.org. Lit, L-I-T. That's a black-owned they bookstore, are the, right? I think they're the last independent bookstore in the Bronx. Amazing. And they do a great job, and they are stocked. I love it. Well, everyone go buy your book uh, there, buy more books there, buy Taffy's books there, buy anyone's books there. Um, Thank you for your time. I'm so glad that we got this to work. I can't believe we had an hour and a half conversation on coffee and speed and writing. Um, But this was wonderful. And uh, and I I will link to everything that we talked about in the show notes. And and hopefully you'll be back again soon. Thank you so much, Caroline. This was so fun. Absolutely. All right. Good luck with your next interview. 